episode of Reptile Fight Club. Me, uh, Justin Yuen, and my host, Chuck Owen. Hello. Ready to, ready to fight again. <laughs> Back on war. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to fight. This will, this will be a good fight today. Sounds like your dogs are ready to fight, too. Yeah, they're Very always easy. ready to fight. They're... Uh... <laughs> They got a, they got something to say as soon yes. as we hit record. <laughs> yeah, no, they were nice and quiet yeah. until we record, and then they're wankers. It's probably so. my voice. They're like, "Who's that weird voice?" No, it, it takes very little. I mean, yeah, yeah. dogs. Uh, yep. The breeze, the breeze, whatever. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, they get they get loud over nothing. And then one 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 like when my dogs like one starts barking, then the other one has to. Oh bark. yeah, like, yeah. No, there's no, the, no way around. And, it. and the fire truck starts mm-hmm. to howl. Oh, yeah. They literally yep. start howling, and then other dogs yep. in the neighborhood start howling, and it's like we're all singing together. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's grossly ridiculous. Good times. Good times. Well, this isn't dog fight club. My hope is dog fight club. That would be bad. We're not not there yet. We'll see. Uh, It (laughs) might be, it might be. be. Please don't fight your dogs. Yeah. Well, no, not me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So let's, uh, talk about some reptiles, huh? Yeah. Anything, uh, reptile going? Um, yeah, so I'm, I've got, uh, more eggs from my William Psy. So nice. I've got, uh, four, four, four William Psy babies, uh, uh, in the, in the incubator now. So cool. that's going, uh, I've, I've, uh, just, just kind of been doing cleaning, cleaning and feeding geckos, um, mm-hmm. getting ready. I'm, I'm starting to hit my all my animals with their small frequent meals before I cut them off and and mm-hmm. uh, start them start them into their breeding uh, for the year so kind yeah. of super it's excited time, isn't it? yeah it is it is yeah. and I'm, I'm starting, you know, to, I'm, starting uh, to get cold here yeah I was yeah. walking up to work this morning I'm like oh this is a little chilly out here yeah um I'm not a big fan of winter so no I get it I, well I live in Southern California I, I yeah. feel your pain and I, yeah. yet I don't. So, <laughs> yeah, yep. you pay a pretty price living down there. That's for oh, sure. Oh, I do. I but, do. Uh, you know, it's, it seems like it's might be worth it. It was not fun bad. To, to get back to Southern California again. I guess I've been a few times this year. So yeah, I, yeah, I was just going to say you, you were here like that, not even but, that long ago. Yeah. So. You, it's you, close uh, enough. You know, the kids can say, Hey dad, we want to go to the ocean. Okay. Yeah. Jump in the car. Let's go. Let's go yeah. for a long weekend. And yeah. Well, and, uh, I, I, liked, to... I liked that You have a good excuse to come down here. So, Oh yeah. It was, it was good to see you. That's for sure. Hang out. Yeah, with you. Definitely. Was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. It was, Feel the you know, fun to hang out with Anson. I'm glad he got to meet you. Yeah. And, you know, no, that was cool. And it was fun. Yeah. It was fun to talk to him. He's and, a cool uh, guy. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. uh, we had, you know, we had plenty of, uh, you know, uh, job related, uh, conversations around, uh, he's in, yeah. you know, he's in the air force. So, oh, yeah, uh, just yeah. kind of t- trading, trading stories, uh, yeah. you know, our military stuff. So, um, yeah. just fun, just a fun guy. Really, really good to meet him. He's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Hopefully you guys get to go out shooting yeah. sometime. That'd be yeah. Cool. That'd be great. I'd, I'd love to. So I told yeah. him, so just t- have him let me know. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good one. No, yeah. Fun for sure. Him as a brother-in-law. For yeah. sure. Yeah. So cool. Um, I, uh, I got a couple geckos. I I got them at the Anaheim show, so I had yep. to uh, drive down to 
so I flew, so I had to um, have some friends bring them home. And they, they only made it, you know, they, they live in St. George, so they were about five hours away. So I drove 10 hours over the last couple of days going down to pick up some geckos. So I'm, I'm well, a little tired, but it yeah. was, I mean, I always need a, an excuse to get down to St. George. I love that area. It's And did you like, do, you, you just went down and picked them up or did you? Oh, we did a little herping, a little birding. Um, all that we found on the herping. Who is me and we? Heidi. Heidi ah. went with me. Yeah, I went down with my lovely wife and that's awesome. Made a nice uh, long weekend of it. And nice. Uh, or not, I guess it wasn't in the weekend. It's middle of the week. But she has she her day off is Thursday. So we how, went. How we, many men can say that that they take a a soiree out to herp with their wife? What a lucky yeah. dude! Oh, man. she's a lucky she's dude. a catch for sure. I, yeah, <laughs> I've got a good wife. She's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And, dude. Uh, so we had a lot of fun. I mean, I, you know, I she didn't complain at all like she was yeah. just fine going on her and she kind of knows it's part of the routine but, right she, she's um, got you she she knows you <laughs> yeah and i kept thought you know like we can well we we did a little shopping not much she just needed a shirt or two for the the next day or two so um but then we just kind of went out herping nice uh, I, I got some sand so that's always nice to right. get some good uh, gecko sand so um i i was running low on that so it was nice to replenish my stores and then uh we did a little birding the next day we got her a, a great horned owl which she hadn't seen yet um this year so that was cool to see it was just out what in is the that day. i think it was a young one what does um, that put her count at I think she's at 180, high 180s, 190, somewhere around there. So you're up what, mid, mid, mid 200s, low, low to mid 232. 230, yeah, 232? So, you, are yeah. you thinking you're going to break uh, two, 250 by the end of the year or what? I don't know. I haven't really been going that's out. Tough. That I mean, you've been, yeah. yeah well, I feel like you need to travel a little bit. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's probably tough. Like you've probably caught a lot of the species that, that yeah. uh, you're going to see in Utah, right? For well, sure. That's the funny thing too, is you go some other places and it's like a lot of the same species. Like yeah. Right. Well, especially unless you go like probably regionally, right? Like, you yeah. know, um, yep. you probably sure. go to a different region of the, of North America. You're probably seeing different stuff and yeah. maybe some of it's what seasonal, like you're, yeah. you mean, oh, since you sure. get seasonal migration. Yep. Yep. And it, and the, you know, assemblage changes. So you can go to the yeah. same area multiple times. So yeah, we went to a park that we've been to many times and saw, you know, two or three new species. We saw some green herons flying around. So that nice. was cool. Hadn't seen nice. those yet. And I, Is this a I state didn't know park they were or? in Utah. Um, it's just a, a like a little uh, kids park. You know, it's like oh, a normal okay. park. So it's like they a California park. park. I got you. They have like, That's... yeah, they have like a little dinosaur thing for kids yeah. where you can go and, right, you know, jump on the little swings and stuff. But um, they have uh, a big pond or two. They have a big pond and then a littler pond. And so you can walk around that area. And there's there was a roadrunner cruising around. We didn't Sweet. actually see it, but somebody's like, there's a roadrunner. So we went to look for it and missed it, but we've seen all you saw was a coyote. Yeah, exactly. Some <laughs> coyote with an anvil with on his head. Rocket. I yeah. don't know what was going on there. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it was it was fun. It's nice to get out and 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 Heidi gets excited. To, you know, as excited about seeing stuff as I do. So that's super. She was fun. really so. All we found herping was a toad, a little Arizona toad. I mean, it was cool. It was yeah, it was funny. yeah. Little, little making little croaking noises and stuff. So she thought that was really cute and was pretty excited to see it. Um. So I I always like toads. They're yeah. They're fun. They're well, what a fun what a fun date with your wife. So yeah, it was you fun. Know. And then we got to sleep in, you know, that was yeah. nice. To, oh, I, I bet, dude, I bet. Yeah, you, you, yep. you've kind of been nonstop the past, I mean, from, yeah. you know, the Super Show and, and you know, 
going back, I'm sure you had to get right back to work and then you had to go yeah. get those geckos, which I mean, uh, today I've been spent spending time. Just, we, we got our, at the end of a, uh, one of our contracts with the, uh, the government, uh, to screen antiviral compounds coming to an end. And so I've been working on the reports and all that yeah. stuff. And, it's, and I, I had to have a call with the project officer because our counts were off and we build them for more than we should have. So I've got to adjust, you know, oh. we had to adjust our, uh, our invoice uh, it's just a yeah you, we'll, so you didn't uh, tell him like today was not a fun day you don't overcharge no, the government let's just put no, it that way. well you it's, can but just, you pay them back like you don't yeah, yeah they don't they're, <laughs> they're not they, gonna pay yeah, yeah but, they, they're gonna get their well, money back that's for yeah. sure and we so. like to keep on their good side you yeah, know and, for sure i don't know I, sure. I i have heard of, and maybe this is you know this is completely off topic but i've heard a lot of people on facebook talking about research like they know what's going on a few of our reptile friends uh Chris Behoff was going off a little bit too. And, and he admitted like, oh, I was off base. I was just. What was he saying? Like, just that research. They were saying that, that researchers, researchers are, are biased based on who's funding them. So like yeah. you're going to do the, you're going to make you, the people who are funding you happy. And sure. That, that's not how research works, right? Yeah. You put, you put together a proposal of work that you want to do and it's funded or it's not funded based on the feasibility and the importance of what you're finding. Well, and, so, and I think, and I think, I you know, if, if, if a research or if, if a pharmaceutical company or whoever who's funding it doesn't like the result, they'll just shelf the research. They won't not like, they're not going to tamper with the efficacy yeah. of the research. They just may not you know, if the research is well, not flattering, they may take it back because they yeah. have to or, you know, take it back to a model and, and start again. Or they may just, you know, there's there's plenty of instances yeah. where research never makes it out. But the, oh, just the sure. idea that, the, you know, and I, I no. you know, I, I feel like we talked about this or maybe I've said this before. But, you know, the idea that, you know, everybody from the researchers all the way to the marketing and the government and that, you know, are all crooked and it's all cooked. Yeah. Like that requires a conspiracy of 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 proportions <laughs> that, proportion. that you yeah. can't even get enough people to cooperate <laughs> on these days. Right. So yeah. just that idea that it's like, you know, it's yeah. all like it's all rigged. It's all like, well, first of it's all, you're, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and no, no, no scientist wants to create something that's going to oh. hurt. Humanity. That's not why people go into those types of endeavors. So it's that's just not to say that some you know companies might not try to stretch you know a dollar, stretch the data to make it look like their stuff might be better than it is. And we actually had a a company that was asking me to compile some some raw data for some studies that we did for them. All the results were negative, and I said, "No, I'm not going to send you that data. It's I'm not compensated for that time. All yeah. the data is negative. We gave you the summary of the data, basically, you know, saying whether what what your what the activity of your drug was, and it's all zeros. Like I don't yeah. know what you think you're going to find from the data. Oh, we can find, you know." hints of efficacy i'm like no you can't that's not how this data works yeah. and i'm sorry i'm not sending it to you you know and it, she was mad she was trying to get the yeah. government to force me to you know do that and she was offering to pay for it and i said no i'm not going to send it because i don't feel comfortable with what the you know the way you're going to interpret the data and and you'll mm -hmm. potentially misrepresent it she got highly offended well, and it, very upset it, but it, hey I'm, I'm, you know, i mean can't can't and can't we agree that that even a good data set can be misrepresented uh, by by people who you know uh, want to maybe yeah. cherry pick yeah. cherry 
data uh, mm-hmm. to make it kind of look a little bit, you know. Um, but I would say yeah. those those are very few and far between because they're wasting their time. They're wasting their money. That yeah. it's not nothing's going to come of that. They're not going to get any drugs approved through the FDA where they don't have good solid data. Well, on and I think aspects. I think the during the COVID stuff, Johnson and Johnson experienced that. I think yeah. where there maybe it wasn't Johnson and Johnson. Maybe it was the uh, yeah. I think it was Johnson and Johnson where where they were publishing a study. And uh, I think it was the FDA basically pulled back and was like, hey, no, 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 no. Hold on. We're that, you know, the way you the way you we we want. So I think they cut the data off at a certain date. But if you run the data out further, what it showed was that the you know, um, that the, the 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 percentage rate of effectiveness actually went down a little bit. So they were so the concern was they were using maybe a little less, inc- uh, you know, a little more incomplete of a data set to kind of show a higher uh, efficacy. And and the FDA said, no, dude, you need yeah. to you need to include your entire data set because it, it more accurately represents yeah. the, you know, how how safe or not safe the the the, the or, or how effective, not safe. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it was. Yeah. And that's why I mean, that's why we need the FDA. That's why we need, you know, to, to kind of control those kind of things because the, you know, companies may, may go that way, but you know, for the most part, I haven't really seen that because, yeah. you know, they, they kind of spin their wheels that way. Anyway, sorry. Why I do. Yeah. I mean, I do understand that there's a push pull force in there, but the yeah. idea that, you know, researchers and scientists are, are wholly on the side of, you know, some bought off profit scheme that, yeah. you know, is destined yep. to harm humanity is a, ridiculous notion so and and, you know i i just hope people kind of i think there's a lot of misinformation and that's tricky because it's hard to wade through that it's hard to know who to trust so i would recommend talking to somebody in the actual field that you're discussing i mean there's a lot of you know chiropractors that are going to give their opinions on how to deal with covid and and you know i've been going the rounds with one of my friends from high school that's a chiropractor that thinks he knows you know he's he's an anti-vaxxer and he's and i'm like dude yeah. you've got medical training like i get it you know not everybody wants has the same you know uh view of things and that's fine you can have differences but when you're making just baseless accusations you know there's something uh, i think using your using using your or something Using your professional title, if you're a professional, to reinforce your opinion about something that you're not really an expert in. So it's yeah. kind of like using yeah. a professional title that's misleading. People hear doctor, so they assume you, you know, are a, are a doctor of of something relative. And it's like, oh, you 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 know, you're a doctor in virology. Well, like, no, yeah. I, I do backs. Like, I'm I'm yeah, a exactly. chiropractor. Well, and that's. Like, Oh, that's um, getting back on topic. Um, yeah. You know, writing the books. Um, I uh, I think it was either Bob or, or uh, Russ put on, you know, the covered Dr. Justin Julander or Justin yeah. Julander PhD or something. And, and, you know, I'm like, OK, that's I mean, it's true, but it's not really relevant. And they're like, oh, you know, it's it's OK. It's you've got that title. Let's just put it sure. on. And then um, later I was uh, with the Green Tree Python book. I had uh Dave Barker, um, do the forward. And so I asked him if he'd do that. And, and he recommended, he said, you know, you're not a herpetologist, so your, your PhD is not relevant to this topic. So I would suggest removing that. And I'm like, yeah, that, that makes total sense. So with that one and, you know, with the green tree book and then with the, uh, um, the knobtail book, 
I'm pretty sure I didn't put PhD on that one, but anyway, so I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. So sure. I'm not trying to pass off that I have a PhD in herpetology, but I will say that, you know, having a PhD, uh, it gives you that, you know, that extra training on how to think critically and how to evaluate sure. data sets and things like that. So, you know, and how to read professional papers. It's, it's not necessarily my field, but I, I feel like I have a, a, an okay capacity to understand things that I read in scientific mm-hmm. literature and things like that. So, you know, I, it, it may not be directly applicable, but I think broadly applicable <laughs> is, you know, Sure. realistic in that regard. So although I'm not going to put PhD on there, I do think that, you know, going through that process of getting a PhD and learning that, you know, method of critical thinking and researching and things like that, it, it all kind of plays in together. And science, I mean, you know, I, science is science. <laughs> I, I get where Dave's coming from, but at the same time, like, you're not misleading. You're not trying to mislead anybody. No, there. I mean, you're yeah, not, I didn't do know. that on purpose. I, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe the, the uh, publishing company put it on there to sell a few more books. Yeah. I, well, you know, I mean, I don't know. Hey, listen, but, I, if, yeah. if you have somebody with a PhD in a scientific field, maybe it's not mm-hmm. directly related to what their, their book is about, but does that make their scientific you know, contribution potentially less. No, I, I, I think, you know, somebody could still make that and, and you earn the title. So it's not, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're not, um, I mean, and, and hopefully those people who get to know you through your book understand that you're, you know, you have your PhD in virology, not in herpetology. And yeah. I think you've always been pretty forward and, 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 mm-hmm. and, you know, um, open about that. that. Yeah. 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 I mean, and maybe no, we have not, a herpetologist on here and we, and we have yeah. that debate, you know? Yeah. But <laughs> nobody's trying, yeah, nobody's trying to hose her yeah. anybody. No, by because using I do think, PhD. yeah, I do think, you know, the uh, herpetologist would definitely have greater depth in this area than I would, you know, and, sure. and could pro- probably do a, a more complete job in some aspects of, of the writing than I could. Yeah. So, well, you, you know, see, it, it, it is what it is. Like I said, you're not trying to hose or anybody. And, and <laughs> yeah. uh, there's, yeah. there's an example of somebody without a PhD who's just hacking, hacking their way right through people's, oh, uh, but that guy's smart. Work. I mean, maybe, maybe that's another topic for some days. Get, like, you know, smart on, yeah, he's smart how to know. game the system. Oh he's, yeah. He's, yeah. he's gaming the system and, and he, he and understands the antiquity of some of these things. Sure, and so he sure. can manipulate it and, and, you know, start his own publication. So but he's still everything's peer reviewed yeah. publication, you know, and he's, he's doing it as being a wanker, right? Like he's a butthole, you know, <laughs> well, like, I mean, from his perspective, I think he started out with a reasonable intent. Like, Hey, I'm seeing differences here. I'm seeing these, you know, different populations have different, you know, looks and, then, and then behaviors. Do, then do the work just like everybody yeah. else, but yeah. to to wait for other people to get ready to publish and then swoop in, you know, because you got wind of something, and then oh, you, he swoops or, in or, long or you, before or, they're yeah, ready. exactly, yeah. or or yeah. you just. Or you he just blatantly start, yeah, yeah. Or you just yeah. blatantly start renaming you just slap stuff. Slap a name on it, yeah. Yep. So, so that when somebody actually publishes, I don't know the work, that it necessarily started that way. You know what I mean? Like, I think maybe he felt like he was wrong. I don't know. Maybe a topic for another fight. Yeah, club, that's fine. I, it, it would be interesting to discuss. No, I, the, I agree. The, I, I, Pros I mean, and cons of uh, of Hoser, Hoser. <laughs> but then again, if you say his name three times, so I think we're on two times each. Yeah. So we, can't I think I've said it a couple more times. So. <laughs> but okay, so well, yeah, we'll we'll uh, yeah, we'll, you we'll, know what? We'll chew that one over. If he shows <laughs> up, he's got a fucking fight. 
<laughs> I no, I don't want him on here. He's <laughs> he's a he's a train wreck. Yeah. Yeah. That's, no, I know. Anytime he chimes in on a post, you're like, oh great, here we go. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. It's it's uh. You don't just, just kinda, hey, but you don't just. Uh, I dream of Jeannie. Uh, you know, wink, and then you show yeah. up here. So yeah, um, that, that's that's the beauty <laughs> of uh, that's we the beauty of not getting. Yeah, you don't get the link. You don't get in. No, no yeah. ticket. No laundry. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we uh, get get on with the fight here? Oh, we're gonna fight today. We got oh, a yeah. fight. Yeah. I think so. I think all we right. better. Let's fight. Now I'm, that we've lost all our this listeners is, this, talking about, yeah. you know, our they're, they're complaints like, these guys are just like, yeah, listen, yeah, let, getting all listen here, political, left field. If, that, if yeah. that's what you, I know, I know people how people are going to say that. that. That was not political. That was science. That was yeah. not political. Ah. <laughs> yeah. So let's, if you're thinking that's political, then there's something wrong there with, yeah. with your thinking. But, okay. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's introduce the topic today. So we're talking what about topic cycling right and and are certain things necessary to cycle your snakes do you do you have to follow a recipe or are there many avenues to breeding a snake so there i think whether there are or aren't reproductive cues that need to to be hit in order to successfully reproduce an animal yeah yeah i think that that kind of sums it up nicely and i think this was maybe precipitated a little bit after um, listening to Shane talk about his experiences with uh, breeding Helm Harris on, yeah. on uh, Morelia Python's radio. And, uh, you know, some of the things that you're like, yeah, that, that, that matches my experience and other things like, no, that doesn't really line up with yeah. what I saw. So, yeah. you know, kind of gets the, gets the brain working and, you know, thinking about these topics and, Hey, do you really have to have certain things happen to breed an animal or can many different avenues, you know, can, is there a lot of ways to, breed a snake more than many more ways than to ways skin that, a skin a cat there you go say. yeah that's uh i don't know where that uh came from i think I, i'm not a cat fan so we can skin the yeah cats. yeah <laughs> i'm fine with I, that. I i like cats we've got do cats. you oh yeah that's right we've I, oh, had yeah. this conversation I've got my i'm a dog cat. person he's, and you're okay awesome. well listen we've had we have had <laughs> this conversation and 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 i i think a hairless cat is more like a dog so i will i will <laughs> yeah. i will i will yield to justin but my my wife had a cat uh when uh-huh. we first met that uh i moved in with my wife and uh at, at the time. And, and, uh, so this cat would wait until I did my laundry. I would fold it in my laundry basket oh, and this cat great. would just jump in there and pee all over my laundry. Cause <laughs> she, the cat lived with Heather before I was there. So now who's, who's this <laughs> fucking dude? He was putting you yeah. in your yeah. place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So me and the cat John didn't, was boss. yeah, mm, yeah. I, that cat, well, we could have skinned that cat, but but we didn't because you know I I yeah. I, I, I wanted to continue a relationship with my now wife, so um, skinning <laughs> yeah. her cat that would, would be probably, a bad move. That would be yeah. a bad move, man. It, would, it wouldn't. <laughs> plus, it would be very undue of me. You know what I mean? That's so, true. Um, the only you know. place they, you know, the the only place I don't like cats is in Australia in the outback, yeah. you know, where they shouldn't be. Or well, other places for that. Yeah, matter, I would just you know? say that that keep fer- your cats the inside. Feral, the feral feline is. Yeah, yeah, lock them up, people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yep. don't let ours keep them out, out of the night. Keep, yeah, mm-hmm. keep them out of the laundry basket. Keep them out of uh, nature. So yeah, because even in you know even in here they're they're going to hunt down birds and and they mm-hmm. account for a lot of uh, bird mortality in the U.S. and and throughout the world. I mean, they're just they're not a good 
predator they're, to have outdoors they're, in they're areas psycho, they They're psychopathic throw killers is what they are. <laughs> Sorry. I guess you could put it that way. Yeah. But I, I do want to reiterate, I am a cat fan. I know there's a lot of listeners that are also cat fans and friends of mine that really like cats. So, is that is that true? Uh, do you have have, have you verified that? Is that oh, a, you, is sh- that? you need to visit uh, Peter and Joanne Birch. They've they've got several what, cats. Peter? <laughs> what? Oh yeah. There's, maybe <sighs> it's I think it might be more Joanne than Peter. But yeah, see? they do have a few cats and but, and, but and so some cool but, dogs. But if I mean they, jo- if they're just Joanne, nature lovers in general. Yeah, yeah. If it's Joanne then it's Peter by default, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't <laughs> like my wife's cat, but it, you know it was it, I yeah. like my wife. So I liked my wife's cat even though it peed in the fucking laundry basket right like yeah. you know by default i have to you know it's a uh, for, forced participation okay well that was All another right. anyway, tangent sorry. about yeah i'm on yeah <laughs> so we anyway. won't skin the cats but we will uh talk about different ways to breed a yes. snake so yes okay so we'll uh give it a coin toss i know it's yeah it's kind of a moot point at this you know this venture <laughs> yeah, junction. It, gee yeah. whiz dude why don't you give it a call <sighs> tails okay what do you see there? I can't oh, see. I can't I see. It. it was actually tails. Oh, was goodness. it? So I won. Yeah. I won. So won. I won. Do you hear that, people? I won. Oh, I won. 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 All right. Well. Okay. So, try not to glow too much. Well, there, listen. Buddy. My percentages are rising. My my stock yeah. my stock is rising. So. So what um, side do you want, man? What do you? Um, I am going to. I am going to go with the the nay side that you do not necessarily need specific cues in order to breed a reptile okay all right well um do you want to start or do you want to i'm sure i know what you're yeah. going to say well you i mean if you, it, are you asking me or i mean <laughs> yeah. I, I, you I mean, won the coin toss so you right. get to say if you're going then, first then or you, if you're then you start you start i, I you figured start. that would be the case yeah. i don't know why yeah. i asked you but yeah. okay here yeah. we go <laughs> yeah so um, I think there are definitely some set in stone things that are needed to breed some reptiles. And, you know, I guess, you know, I, I kind of would say that I, I side with you a little bit in this regard that, yeah, there's probably lots of different ways, but I think there are some that are pretty fast and firm that are just integrated into the, into the snake's DNA almost. And that they, that's required. I mean, um, you look at all the, uh, uh, temperate region colubrids, right? They generally need uh, winter cooling mm-hmm. for the males to develop, you know, sperm properly and for the females to cycle and get things ready to go. You can actually manipulate that. I, I, I think you can, um, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's nice for the keeper as well because you're cooling them down. You're not having to feed them during that time, but uh, getting them cool is, is, pretty much a requirement. I mean, there might be some exceptions to that rule and you might have an, an odd clutch that you didn't, you know, from an animal you didn't uh, cycle. But I think for the most part, cooling a temperate region animal reptile is is um, necessary for reproduction. So okay. I'd, I'd start out with that. Okay, that's good. So, so, and so I am not uh, Mr. Colubrid. So I, I perhaps <laughs> am speaking a little in ignorance and, and, you know, this has just been well, try with a diamond. Yeah. Try, right, right. Try okay. a diamond without cooling. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. But so, and, and, and my, you know, I, this goes back to, you know, when I first started, uh, well, it goes back to reptile radio with Terry Phillip and, and, mm-hmm. it, and it goes back to me starting to reconsider 
how I kept my stuff. And I, I, I like that, that flat temp idea that, that, that Terry has. Um, and that's kind of how I keep the ambient in my, in my reptile room is, is that 78 to 80 degrees. And I don't heat my babies. I don't heat my juveniles. And the only time I heat my adults is when they're, you know, they're going through their reproductive cycle and they're either have follicles or they've ovulated and they're, and they're uh, cooking eggs inside of them. So, I, I mean, I guess my, 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 my thought process is, and, and like I said, I'm not a colubrid guy. So do, do they need that cold period? Because people talk about, and people talk about diamonds needing, well, you got it like, and they're, and they're like, I, I might as well just put this in the freezer for a couple hours. And like, do you need, do you really need to get them really cold? Cause it's almost like we brag about how cold these, these snakes can get. And still do mm. fine, but my question is, like, and and do, in nature, do they get that cold? Yes, absolutely, they do. But is that a functional requirement of them uh, being able to breed? Does that does do they need fifty degrees for their sperm to be viable, or do you need to keep them at a temperature that you don't cook their sperm by keeping them a little bit too warm? Um, it, you know, and so what we're looking at is nature. So we're looking at that natural cycle and we're seeing that they cool down and that we're seeing when they warm up and we see when they lay eggs. And so there is this cycle that we use, but what I'm saying is, is, is that because nature's driving the bus and we're just interpreting that and we're saying, okay, well, if I do what nature does, I can be successful. Right. Uh, that makes sense to me, but is that necessarily the case? Right. And, and, and I guess the other part of it is I feel like, like reptiles, especially when you start to go into classes of reptiles. I feel like pythons in general, they all have some of the general same requirements, even though they come from different areas of the world, right? And, you know, we, we say like, oh, well, you can't, you can't treat a ball python just like you treat an Indo species. Um, well, maybe you actually kind of can. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, um, maybe there's some certain requirements, but, but in generality, you know, do you have to stick a ball python because it comes from, you know, the African, uh, a humid African area? Do you have to heat them up and keep them warm all the time or, or can they exist in that 80 degrees? And then you just warm them up when they're, when they're, when they're in their reproductive events, because I have had no issues across and that's, but, but all things in their place, I keep stuff that's very similar, right? So yeah. I just, I just, to me, I question when we say like, ah, you have to do, you have to hit certain hard points when you're breeding an animal. Otherwise it's not going to work. Now, I, I think, you know, we, we, uh, talk about, you know, use Terry's, uh, uh, Morelia Python's radio interview is an example. And it's, was that was what it was? I, I, mean, I think I said, reptile. Yeah. I, yeah, my bad. Okay. That was one okay. of the, uh, he might've been on the other one, but I, I remember the one that he did with Eric and Owen and, yeah. and you know, he, he uh, made some really interesting points and talked about some things. Now I followed up with some of those things with him and, you know, and talking to him and visiting him and out at the reptile gardens and stuff. And, you know, over phone conversations and stuff, uh, he, you know, I think 
Um, he's coming at it from a different perspective than most of us because he has so many species that he's yep. caring for. Yep. And so his room has to cater to all these different species that have, you know, very different requirements from each other. So what he's doing is he's kind of boiling down, okay, what's the, what's the regimen that we can get the most of these things to perform with mm -hmm. and be mm -hmm. healthy in and potentially reproduce in. And that's been that kind of 78 to 82 degrees. You know, most species do all well there, do all right, yep. you know, stay yep. alive and Nothing thrive. Will, and nobody eat will and throw up their meal or, exactly. you know, every, that's a safe, it's a safe place yeah. for an animal, so, for a reptile to be, or but for, I, you for know, most snakes to be. I'll say that. Uh -huh. I'll say that. Yeah. But, I, but I would argue that that, that may not be necessarily the best way or the most reliable and repeatable way to breed uh, uh, any given taxa, right? If you're trying to shoot for majority, it's like trying to govern, you know, a state, you've got to kind of listen to the majority of your constituents and, and try to do what they would want you to do. And yeah, there's sure. going to be some that are just going to be miserable under your leadership because you're not listening to them because they're on the fringe or they're, you know, not, um, so there I went and did make it political, but, um, anyway, you know, we, 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 uh, I think, you know, if you're, if you're like you, where you're specializing in certain pythons and you kind of want to find those key elements to, to be successful repeatedly, because I think you can get, clutches and you can get eggs from animals when you're just keeping them kind of that middle of the road, you know, doing, well, but if you, if you learn from their, um, you know, cycling or their natural cycles and you're like, well, you know, maybe they don't have necessarily a cool down period, but they have uh, wet and dry periods, you know, maybe I'll dump a bunch of water on them for a couple of weeks and maybe that'll signal, you know, and, and you can do those studies and figure out what will work. Now, yeah. I guess the, the, the downside of the dangerous side of that, of, of trying different things is sometimes you just kind of screw up the animals because you're trying something different every year. So that's probably not the best thing to do if you want to have uh, repeated success. It's like, you know, pick a lane, stick in that lane, and you're going to probably have more success that way. But I would say that, you know, if you're, when you're starting out, you might want to consider those natural events because that's what they're that's what they've evolved to to do and that's what they're you know used to uh signaling their reproductive strategies um so, so i do think that that those natural things are kind of hardwired and they're mo there's some that are definitely necessary to breed those species yeah so I, li I like a lot of that. Um, I mean, I think pick a lane, stick in your lane is probably a good way to go. I, I mean, I think with harder to breed things, and this has been just my experience, is that, you know, you have to get them established. You have to, and, and you know, you, you can listen to the interview Shane did, which was fabulous. Um, and he, you know, he, I, listen, my animals were like a hundred grams when I got them. I had a reverse trio, a, a, a female and two males. Um, and, you know, Shane's animals were much older, much bigger from what it sounds like. And he had a very difficult time. And so, you know, it's, it's, again, it, it's the struggle, but it's the perseverance. And I, I truly believe that why Shane was successful and why I, I have been able to be successful is that we long game the shit and, and, you know, year after year after year of not having success, but still continuing to keep that animal in, in, 
I, I think I think steady state economics is something that all animals look to when they're when they're trying to make reproductive decisions, right? If you're mm-hmm. just changing shit from year to year all the time, the animal's like, what is going on here? I'm not sure where I'm going to be next year or next month or whatever. I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to risk a reproductive event right now cuz things seem to change so much. And so yeah. that idea that Terry has where, you know, you you kind of flat temp um, and, and, you know, like I said, I, I, I don't, you know, my animals are out behaving, they're active, they're, they eat great, you know, they're, they, they perform all of the natural functions and, and, and behave with the natural behaviors that I'm used to seeing, um, from every type of scrub that I've ever kept. So to me, I'm kind of like, okay, all of this tracks with every piece of experience that I have now. Could I be doing it all wrong and every behavior that I've seen has been wrong? Maybe, possibly, you know, is, is um, you know, having successful clutches necessarily uh, a sign that you're doing everything right? No, but it is a marker of something that, that yeah. animals yeah. that have never been bred, you know, or have been bred so few times in captivity are now successfully breeding year after year. Maybe that's just the animals. I think, you know, for me, I think things like having a female and having two males that have contact with each other is it, I'm goading those males into breeding her. Sure. And I, yeah. I think, I think, I think yeah. there's, there's situational things that, that have zero to do with seasonal triggers. Um, yeah. Are there certain seasonal triggers that I use? Yes. Are they absolutely? So one of the things Shane talked about was that he worked heavy with humidity um, and, the, the, and, and gave them a lot of humidity leading up to, to the breeding. And, you know, the first time I bred the Tracy A, I did the same thing. And I had success, but the second time I did not, and I had success. So, did I do it well enough, or did the first time just kind of you know open the, roll out the red carpet for everything after that? Like so, you know, and and it's it's kind of like that, and that's what I'm saying is I, I don't think there's a form like people want to say like ah that's the one thing you didn't do, and if you would have done that, it would have worked. Well, I don't know about that, you know. So you well, want to respond? some of those things too, are like, uh, you know, we, did you track all the storms that came through, you know, California or did you, well, you know, so, and, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I definitely had, so I, again, I have an elevated isolated hide box. Um, and when I had barometric drop events, you know, storm events, Yes, I absolutely did not see those that female and that male. And and previously when I had seen copulations, they were correlated to barometric events. So I do think that yeah. there are to your point certain things that are highly tied to production to reproduction, right? I do. Cuz I I love that line that from the Terry Phillips interview like that says, you know, my my uh, rattlesnakes come from an area where it snows a lot, but I'm not shoveling snow into the cage. It's the absolutely. cold not the Absolutely. snow. It right. may be the barometric pressure change and not the water in the cage that's, exactly. there, that's triggering. And so, you know, you're, you, 
you know, we might miss those subtle things where we think, oh, I sprayed them. And so, you know, that that's kind of more of a you're you're ignoring the the real cue, which was barometric pressure. You know, and I think. Do, and, and, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. And, and do they need that barometric pressure? I, you know, maybe it's important for some species. Yeah. Maybe that's kind of what triggers them more so than uh, anything. But the I guess the the kind of take home is is that, you know, sometimes we misconstrue, you know, a necessary factor for, for the, an unnecessary. the resultant or, or, yeah. Or, yeah. or a correlated or, or an associated factor that yep. kind of hangs on that, like well, in and, that, like and, that example. And going back to Tracy A, because that's my best, you know, my best, uh, my best shit to kind of throw at this, um, you know, I, I think it, when people think about the Halmahera Islands, they think, oh, it's, you know, stable temperature, warm, humid, rains all the time. Well, I, my experience is the, the Tracy, they hate, they hate water. They don't want to mm-hmm. be wet. That's not their, they may enjoy the humidity. They may benefit from that, but, th- but spraying water in their cage, they don't like that. You know what I mean? And so I think, you know, maybe having humidity at right times, uh, cool. Uh, do you have to have a wet period in order to get them to, I don't do a wet period. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think that's a thing. I think a wet period when you have an animal in a box leads to bacterial infections. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, and, and, and again, just because, and this is kind of reinforces my idea that just because it happens in nature doesn't mean that it's a require. It's just where the animal is. Where it's, 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 and it's not because it rained that animal evolved there to be there because of the rain. It's just a form that exists and, and in that area that exists, rain is a thing. So just like in any part of the world, humans, it doesn't change who you are as a human, but you, you deal with different climates and, and maybe people change a little bit. Uh, because hmm. you know they get more sun, maybe they get a little dark. Their pigment gets darker, or things like that. Sure. But we're still all just humans and operating in the same way. And yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to use an anthropomorphic. You can take them out of that environment, yeah. and they'll do. This and, one. and and they're still successful to reproduce, right? And, and yeah. so I'm not trying to use an anthropomorphic, you know, example here. But sure. yeah. I, I think you see kind of the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I would say too, like uh, I I think there are certain species that will, that, that need those things. And if you don't, if you give them the option, like, so if they need a cooling period, but you give them a basking spot, they might choose to bask all day and kill their reproductive season. Yep. 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 And I, and I would also say, you know, in, in, in regards to rain, frogs definitely need rain to reproduce yep. you know the, and, and that's, that's what triggers a yeah, reproductive yeah, yeah, event yeah, yeah. with many frogs i mean i've been in places where you can throw a rock and they'll go try to mount it because they think it's another frog you know they're right. so keyed up on reproduction and it has to happen quick as soon as the rains come you've got to get that job done and so they're they're out you know mating aggregations and hearing the calls and seeing all the tadpoles you know that kind of thing so most definitely some species would require you know i would say frogs would require rain if you don't give them a rainy or you know wet season that might not they might not breed and i think you see that in reproducing a lot of frogs that they need like rain chambers to Mm -hmm. to get the the mood Mm -hmm. going and if it's you know not um 
and, and you know, correlated with potentially storms outside. I know some frog breeders in Utah wait until the big snowstorms come and then they'll start their frogs in a rain chamber. So they have the and, and, and do you think that do you think that 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 rain cycle, uh, because those tadpoles have to exist in water, that's that to to those frogs, they're like, okay, this is a safe time for me yeah. to you know initiate well, and a, a lot reproductive of these, event. A lot of these. I mean, not that they're under yeah. a, you know a couple feet of uh, sand or something. You know, sure. and it's dry as dry as can be on top. But as soon as rains come through and they get saturated, they'll they'll start crawling up to yep. the top and find their mate and get it done and hopefully have the water around long enough that the tadpoles survive to, to, you know, burrow themselves down in the dirt and avoid the hot temperatures. So they, they are definitely tied to that water. They're definitely yeah. tied to that rain cycle. And if it doesn't rain or, or doesn't rain enough, they might not come out that year. They might stay underground and, and be underground. Same. I think there's a lungfish, right? In one of those yeah. uh, planet earths and, those they, things are and he was making crazy making like bricks and and then the lungfish came out of the house and in, in the from the middle of the brick that he used to put his you know wall together or something so stuff like that you know absolutely tied to rain cycles and you know sometimes i i think there are some species obviously that are much more adaptable much more easy to breed than others because they don't necessarily have as many triggers or cues that they need to start a cycle and so mm -hmm. they might be considered easier to breed in the hobby because they're just more adaptable to a lot of different situations and circumstances. Um, I heard uh, um, Scott Iper talking about how all carpets are the same thing. And, you know, I tend to disagree yeah. with that because, I mean, you know, try to keep a, a diamond like a Darwin and you're not going to breed it. It's not going to yeah. do well. It's going to live five years and keel over. So, I mean, obviously it's adapted enough and changed enough genetically to require certain things. So I, I do take issue with, you know, that all carpets are the same but, thing. But what, I, but what I do think is that if you were to take a diamond python and reproduce it in captivity over and over and slowly as you reproduce it, you begin to change. So it's that idea that, and, and um, what was that? The ghost in the genes. It was a KPBS yeah, special yeah. where they talked about how epigenetics influence, sure. um, how epigenetics influence environmental changes and, and how, you know, um, women who bear children in times of famine, actually yeah. the children become smaller so that the mortality rate in the women is lower. And so we, you know, we used to think that genes from one set of offspring to the next are a blank slate. And now we're starting to understand that there's, there's a whole flood of epigenetic changes oh, yeah. that are happening from, 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 from parents to children. And, and so the idea that, you know, we're, we've all of a sudden taken something that's used to sitting in an environmental cycle from, from, from annually to, you know, month to month to whatever. And now we put it into captivity. If you can take that and make it a stable thing for them over the period of time through, through their epigenetic changes in their offspring, they will be, in, be, be able to begin to change. And I think, you know, with enough time, you'll probably be able to breed a, a diamond python, maybe not necessarily like a Darwin, but maybe like a San Diego diamond python that's lived in San Diego for 50 years. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, not to say that you see what I'm saying, you, you know, see what I'm saying. Time, yeah. 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 But, but yeah. there are some, some species that would just 
die out because they can't keep up or they can't make those epigenetic yep. changes to keep up with the changing environment or things like that. Whereas others can because well, they're more I, adaptable. I think that's what we see reason. with extinction, right? Yeah. That's what and extinction that's, is. That's kind of this point of, you know, and I, I can't remember, I think it was main, maybe uh, Nick or somebody that's kind of bringing this up, like, yeah, or, or I've heard it from a few different people, but, you know, the fact that some may have seven factors that are necessary to line up to get them to breed correctly and others might have one or two, you know, and so, and, and you can hit multiple different things and they all work, you know, whereas others might be, need a little more cue, like, you know, like an amphibian, if you don't give them a rain cycle, they're not going to breed or you don't give them enough water to breed in, they're not going to do it, you know? So, yeah. so they're just wasting their energy. And I, and but, I do, I do kind of wonder about that because, you know, I, I, I definitely do not disagree with you that there are certain environmental things that are 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 essential and are essentially tied to reproductive events for certain things, right? Yes. Pat yourself <laughs> on the back. Yep. Do do I, your rocky dance at the, the, right, the stairs. No, no, the right side. no. I agree with you. But at <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, I, I don't, you know, I don't think that, you know, you you, you know it it, it so, so there's seven or eight things that have to line up for an animal to reproduce. Well, that that's kind of shitty for an animal if it's got a couple of bad years and and in a changing environment. Um, I, I and what I'm speaking to is the plasticity yeah. of animals. They have yeah. every living animal has to be placid in 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 the way that it is it, it, because you know. It, it, reproduction is a primary drive. So maybe, you know, that idea of like, oh, well, it reproduces, so it's happy and healthy. Well, maybe not. I mean, it, it's that's like like one of the most important functions for an animal. So maybe it'll reproduce and you're still screwing things up. But well, yeah, you, you can see animals that will reproduce themselves to death. You know, right. they'll, Absolutely. they'll put every ounce of energy into, I mean, chameleons are a great example. They're they're kind of like the insects of the reptile world. They'll breed, you know, they'll, they'll start producing eggs even if there's no male around and they'll die egg bound because that reproductive drive is so strong. Does yeah. that mean you're keeping them right? Not necessarily, you know, because right. they're going to reproduce because they, that's what they do, you know? And, and, and I think so, there's a lot know, of but, different species that could fall into that category. And but, so to um, sit there and be like, well, chameleons so have, reproduction isn't everything, right? but it's the most important thing to the reptiles. For, and so, for animals. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, but I don't think they can just change willy nilly to match whatever, you know, environment they're put in to, to reproduce. And, but, I, but like I'm saying, some might be able to do that. Some might require less stimuli. Some might be able to colonize every area of the world and mm -hmm. reproduce fine. I mean, morning geckos are a great example. They're colonizers and they've made it to, you know, Hawaii, Australia, all these different areas well, and, 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 and they do and, pretty and, well, but I don't see them in Utah. You know, they haven't made their way to Utah and can't, can't adapt to our environment here. But, you know, they can adapt to more tropical or, or you know, so, you know semi-tropical environments and, and do just fine there. So um, there are still some things and I th that I would think be if you important for them to reproduce um, that, that you wouldn't find sure. in other areas. And, and I think if you if you but but and conversely, if you were to take and this is very uh, ab apparent in plants where you get invasive species um, yeah. and and they're, you know, well, they're highly they're, yeah. they, they're, they're high. The, the plants are highly prolific because in their native habitat, they have to outcompete 
Um, but if they make it out of their native habitat that, you know, their, their reproductive strategy is high because they're in high competition. But when you remove their competition, all of a sudden they just take, they, they become, you know, an invasive species because there's nothing checking them anymore. Right. So, yeah. I mean, well, like you, you have to take, I mean, they, you kind of got to take the well, apples right? and the apples, yeah. right. A little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, you know, but like, you know, going back, I think, you know, the conventional wisdom was that Tracier were, were, um, you know, that they needed to be kept warmer and, and that that was what mm. it was. And, you know, clearly that doesn't seem to be the case that you keep them cooler. And, 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 you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't actually remember if Shane kind of talked about what his, his temperature regimes look like. I, I know he talked mm. about, what he did for eggs and and what he did for eggs was very close to spot on with what I did. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, Python, uh, I think Python eggs have a certain incubation period. And I think, you know, Somalia in general have long incubation periods. So, you know, that idea of having a longer incubation period, cooking those eggs higher uh, in higher temperatures is not good. I, I, I did mine 80, 85 to 86 uh, mm -hmm. I believe Shane said he was more like 87, if I believe 86 and a mm -hmm. half, something like that. And, and, um, it's still on the lower side compared to other pythons. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so when I tracked, uh, when I tracked maternal incubation with uh pygmy python, the clutch got over 90 several yeah. times. Like, it well, was but, like but, 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 but you, were you, were I was you surprised they hatched? You did know? you, did you get, did you get, um, did you get time data on that? Like how, how long were they yeah. over 90 and like, yeah. were they it long was, events or were they short yeah, events? You need or? to read my books better. There's a Gee, temp, bro, temp graph wow. in there that shows wow. the, you know, hour to hour changes in that. Well, clutch. not everybody has your book. So I'm just trying to <laughs> help out yeah. the audience at large, but as a plug, yeah. please get Dr. Julender's book on Anteresia. It's amazing. It's got That's a graph Justin in it Julander's that book. will answer yeah. all of these questions for you. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I do think there are some species that can colonize well and that can adapt to just about any, you know, environment, you know, say a, like a, a pigeon or, you know, they, you can find those anywhere yeah. in the world and, and they can reproduce and, and do very well just about anywhere. Um, whereas others, you know, I, I guess I um, look at Australia. I, I love Australia. So I'm, I like to talk about those animals there and you see some animals that have a huge range. They cover basically the whole continent. Mm -hmm. You know, you see, may, I don't know, like what's a good example of that, but they, uh, maybe a certain gecko species, you can find them just about anywhere, like a, a binos gecko or something. And then you find other geckos like the leaf tail geckos that are found on a single mountain range, you know, and they have a very, very restricted range. They're kind of, on an island and maybe, uh, you know, changes to the environment that are a little extreme or rapid, such as anthropomorphic, you know, climate change and, and things like that would result in their doom and they're going to go away or become extinct because the, the changes are too rapid for them to keep up with. And that's why they're in this, this position anyway, right? Because mm -hmm. the aridification of Australia is drying out and then they're kind of stuck on these little islands of of habitat that work for them still like the green tree pythons in Australia as well. They're remnant rainforests where they can kind of have a little niche or, or toehold in their area. Um, but you know, if it keep, continues to dry and those rainforest patches go away, 
they're going to go away too, you know, sure. but that's not to say in a you know a few million years when the earth balances out again and things start to cool down, they can make their way back when there's a land bridge or something in, mm-hmm. in the next ice age. <laughs> so, you know, it's, there, there, there is a, a broader picture or bigger picture of, you know, where something might disappear or change, but maybe the, the uh, basal form can give rise to other forms. Like say all the leaf tails came from a common ancestor, which is pretty, pretty likely, you know, and then as they got stuck and kind of isolated in these different areas, they adapt and grow. But that's not to say in a million years, you know, it might change so they can kind of interbreed and, and mix around and move around in a, in a greater area and change that all, you know, so that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the difficult thing with taxonomy, you know, is well, right now we have a snapshot, you know, you kind of take, I guess the genetics um, play into that a little bit where you can kind of see changes in the long run and changes in different genes and things like that. It doesn't, I mean, epigenetic changes are more rapid, you know, mm-hmm. right now, uh, adaptive changes, whereas the DNA, you know, that's kind of like what's happened over uh, a while, you know, to, to make those changes. And so, you know, we, we uh, have a snapshot, but what does that tell us, you know, in, in the sure. grand scheme of things? And yeah. so, you know, I, and I think, you know, different uh, taxonomists have different ideas of what these things mean. Anyway, that's kind of a little bit, a, a little bit of a tangent there, but I do think that, you know, some things are, are more plastic, you know, and have those set requirements that if they don't see them, they ain't breeding, you know, there's, they've got to have those um, things. And so if you're trying to breed those in captivity and you say, ah, they don't need that, you're probably not going to be successful with them. Whereas yeah. with others, if you go, um, you know, ball python might need, and especially as we, um, okay, I'm going to introduce another topic, but I'll let you respond to this, this one first, sure. if you have anything to say on that. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I, I mean, I think that, you know, um, and, and again, I just go back to what my experience is and, and, uh, you know, I am not the great and powerful Ju- Dr. Justin Julander. Oh, so God. I, I oh, will, God. I will just stick in my lane um, and, and talk about Tracy A is, is, you know, I don't, God forbid everybody gets mad here, but I don't think Dave, Dave and Tracy Barker did a really great job describing the species. I mean, they, you know, they named the species, but where, where do they exist in the Halmahera islands? Are they at elevation? Are they, are they, you know, are, are they elevation pythons? Are they down at sea level? Um, you know, we, we kind of understand what, um, and, and no knock to the Barkers. Like I get it. I'm just, I'm just saying like, um, you know, w- we understand where they come from, but a lot of very, very different, uh, microclimates exist on that Island. It's not a small Island. So, um, you know, what, what exactly are they experiencing for temperatures? Um, oh, look, Justin's getting a book. Oh, he's yeah. he's gonna, he's gonna smack talk <laughs> me out here, but, um, so, you know, I mean, I think that when you see that weather station average of temperatures for the Homahera Islands and you think that's exactly what that animal is going to experience, that, that, that may be leading you potentially down a wrong path. Um, and so I will, I will, uh, I will just keep talking to allow Justin to. Oh, I don't. Uh, you can you can here. stop talking if you want. I was yeah, just going to slap gotta... you upside the head. With Go the, ahead, dude. The Go ahead. Book. <laughs> no, I was going to see if they had you know any information on where they're found. Um, do you have the book? There, uh, it's called the 
Pythons of the World Volume Volume Three, the Pythons of Asia and the Malay Archipelago. I have not gotten that one. Oh, uh, so yeah. there you go. You so can mail it. You, you can mail it. Talking about what the Barkers have or have not said. So I saw a paper. <laughs> I saw a paper, and yeah. uh, I remember the paper fairly well. It's been a while since I've seen it. So that is what I'm. I'm assuming that they're they're book comes from their primary research since not very many other people that I know of have described or named the species after um, themselves. So I, I'm just saying, you know, um, but I, as, I mean, as I, is I think typical if, of most insular Python species, Halmahera pythons probably can be found throughout the, their islands in nearly every habitat and elevation. The Halmahera python is closely associated with forested areas. So it sounds so, like they might be able so to go. So pretty that, much you know, they said, yeah, it could be anywhere. And I don't know, you know, how how much, do you know how much the island of Halmahera varies in, in terms of elevation? I mean, are there big mountains on Halmahera? I don't know. Um, um, I mean, they're fairly smaller islands. I don't know how much of I a mountainous range they even have. Small. I mean, they're smaller than the Bird's Head Peninsula. They're... You know, bigger than you know, Bioc, but they're you know they're fairly good sized islands. Um, and there's what one, two, three, you know. So they went from not that big to fairly good size. Well, uh, so and well, and, I mean, and they're it, not Papua New Guinea and listen, they're not Australia. Listen, they're not, smaller not, islands. Listen, I'm not Ari. <laughs> I I admit it. I haven't gone out and I haven't like you know hung with the natives and and yeah. and the Tracy A out there. I get that. I'm just saying. Okay, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize to all of you. Dave and Tracy, if you ever happen to listen to this, uh, not talking shit at all. Uh, I'm just saying that, um, you know, from what has been described and what people have tried to garner, I don't think that there was a very, you know, that, 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 that their, um, natural care, uh, if that, if you want to call it that is very well described. So it's left people to say like, Oh, I'm just going to take it from a weather station in Halmahera. And, and if you look at that, that data, Halmahera is pretty stable, right? It's, it's yeah, warm and yeah. it's stable, but it doesn't mean that underneath the canopy uh, or wherever these animals are residing, that that is necessarily, you know, they're not, maybe they're not 87 degrees or 88 degrees or 85, no, whatever it is, right? 70, 70 right. They're, they're, they're low, they're low, stable. And, and, Especially you know, if they're largely nocturnal, you know, and that's, it's, it's very equit it's equatorial. So you're not getting yeah. large shifts. Um, you potentially have rainfall year round. So you, you have stable. And so for me, in my mind, I thought, okay, so they're an average everything, right? steady state economics for the animal. So if you don't, you know, if you don't necessarily hit the temperatures right, but the te temperatures are stable and they're close, then you're probably okay, right? Like that that's mm -hmm. what makes sense to me and I'm sorry if I've offended everybody and that I'm now uh, a pariah. Yeah. Justin I think pulled, that, that's Justin an automatic the, disqualification. Listen, to, the guy pulled the book <laughs> that I don't even own out on me. So what I mean, what do you want from me here? How like, do I'm I doing, have this book and you don't. I mean, I'm doing the best I can. This. Listen, I Here's have a the, picture listen. of a home of hair in here. You this have the book. You have the book. I have the snakes. Oh my goodness. There you go. Gorgeous. No, I mean, I mean, it's fine. I, yeah. I prefer, I, I, I prefer I the think, babies. I mean, 
It says the local collectors report that the species is usually encountered on the ground, but as general arboreal, it is often encountered at fruit fruit bat rookeries. So I don't necessarily think it needs to eat fruit bats to be successful with it, you know, but maybe if you learned, you know, the the cycle that the fruit bats take, you know, that might help uh, promote reproduction. But I think um, think that's a potential potential avenue. I don't necessarily, I mean, mean, someone would have to prove to me that the predominance of their... Yeah, obviously you didn't do that and you were successful with them and you right. didn't, you know, think about the fruit bats. But I mean, you know, food cycling can be useful for a sure. lot of species. And I think that um, was and, another and I think huge you incorporated some of those. Yeah, absolutely. Aspects. And yeah. that was that was some also that came from Terry and and, and you yeah. as well. And I I, I I I dare say Ryan and I, uh Young and I even talked about that a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, you know, just kind of doing um, you know, I um you know, when I was getting ready to a month or a month and a half, maybe two months away from um, cutting off their food, um, and generally I correlated that with my wet with my wet period in, in in Southern California, which is very pronounced. It's it's only a couple months. Um, so potentially for me, if I have a bad wet season, I feel like I probably have a bad breeding season. But um, you know, I, I would feed very small, very frequent meals feed, feed, Q, 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 and then I've cut it off. So, yeah. and, I, and that, that seems to be very successful. So like I said, you know, I, and, and that n- also can m- mimic a natural cycle of, of the ebb and flow of, of, um, prey, of prey, prey availability. So mm-hmm. I think there's probably some good, you know, rationale for doing things like that. Um, yeah. I think I think one of the most uh, important things, especially for something like a Tracy A or, or you know that you and Shane hit on, was leaving them alone. You Absolutely, know, reducing their stress. And you know, I think there's multiple ways to kind of ach- ach- achieve that. You know, you can kind of um, just you know handle them a lot. You know, you, you hear that from everybody. Oh, you just handle them a lot, and then they get used no. to handling, and they no. they settle down. No. But uh, what I'm saying no. is. That's potentially a way if they got used to being handled over and over and over and that, that stress went away because they realized, okay, I'm not getting hurt. You know, this, this there, I'm being handled gently. They're not jerking away or, or swinging me around or anything, you know, and the, and the stress of the handling uh, or stress of interaction with people goes away. Obviously it's easier just to leave them alone and -hmm. let them settle. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying it's, it's, possible and maybe some species never settle down maybe tracy is one that would never settle down but maybe if you handled it enough it realized okay this is just the food monkey bringing me food and it's just you know getting me out of my cage <laughs> let me get get out in the sun and being handled and so you're you know you're i love that uh, I, think <laughs> I that's, like uh, that that's funny <laughs> mike yeah um uh, so anyway the you know if you're if you're handling and, and reducing that stress load they're not feeling that stress then um you know maybe that serves the same purpose and so you could say oh you have to leave them alone or oh you have to handle them a lot to get them over that stress and you know you don't have to do either you could do either or and it would work but the principle is the same you're reducing their stress load either by leaving them alone and not touching them or interacting with them or whatever just feeding them occasionally or you're um, you know, getting them over the other way and, and both could 
work potentially equally equally well. So, so we got a shout out to Mike's monitors who always yeah. talks about the food monkey. You know, <laughs> I did. Uh, it's hilarious. Mike's a great guy. Yeah, he's, um, he's really so, great. So please allow me to retort. Um, okay, I, I, I do. I do. I do try. think. <laughs> I do think what you're saying has some merit. I think you're going about it the wrong way. Uh, I, what I chose to do with my Tracy A was that I stuck them in very plain cages. I took away all of their hides. So they had to exist in that closure openly. And that there was, there is, and, and always will be an amount of stress that comes from that, but you're not being handled by the food monkey. You're not being encroached upon it is as the food monkey opens the door and grabs you with this metal hook or whatever but but they're allowed to exist in a certain level of stress that that to them is and and they would they would find that openly find their favorite spot to, to to sit in and they would sit there and and i did that with them until all of a sudden they went from this shy you know, almost like a biot chondro where they tuck their head and they hide. And if you touch or go in there, they'll freeze. I think that mm -hmm. what, um, you know, what Bob Rock said about, about Tracy, I Tracy, a freezing when, when they're highly stressed mm -hmm. and high, I, I spot on spot yeah. on. Um, and, and I think we take that for like, Oh, but w we think when it's stressed, they're going to start striking at us. And that's, that's panic mode. That's way beyond stress, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're over the top at that point or but, food mode. Maybe they're or, very comfortable. Well, see, they're but, thinking it's but time that's to eat. not, but that's not been my experience. My experience was that when they flipped, when, they became comfortable and it's much like you see in baby carpets where they're, they're bitey, they're nervous. And then they get to a certain point and all of a sudden my Tracy, flipped and they started acting like every other scrub that I've ever had or ever encountered. And, and mine now are at the glass. They're inquisitive. They're seeing what's going on They're You know, they, they see movement. They'll be, they'll be hitting, they'll hit the glass um, trying to, to eat or, you know, they're, they're not, they're not this idea that there's some thing different than anything that we've ever experienced. I don't, I don't buy that. It's not been, you know, in, in the, in the interim, there's something that we recognize, but not something that we're used to in yeah. scrubs. Right. But yeah. they're not wholly different. They're pythons. Sure. Just like Tracy said, Incubate the eggs just like regular pythons or treat them just like regular pythons. And I think once you can get them established from being completely stressed out and you don't kill them, then you can start to treat them much more like the 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 the, the, the Somalia family of pythons that 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 they are. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and you didn't disagree with me. You you said the exact same thing I was saying. Like you did something to Give them a certain level of stress until they realized it's not really yeah, stress. Yeah, and but they I said, down, I, well, you know? listen, maybe listen, their behaviors but, were. I, I don't know, Tracy. Linda, Linda, I, Linda, not, Linda, Linda, Linda. Listen, you listen. walked right I, into I, my trap. No, I didn't walk into your trap. Your <laughs> trap was crap. It was a, it was no, a, a cheap. It was a cheaply made <laughs> trap that that did not that did not hold me, sir. It you're did not trying hold to me. chew off your foot right now because you're in that trap. <laughs> you are trying to chew off your foot, calling me Linda. Come on. <laughs> no, I I said that they you could handle stress. Two different ways. You could either help them get used to the stress of you, which you did, or yeah. you could 
or you could just have them or hide you, away or from you could, or you could, you kill, ignore them. or you could kill them by grabbing them out of their cage. No, that's not what I said. Then, I said no, doing I just, things that's to I get think, them well, used to the stress of captivity. Listen, like, think, like handling them often or like putting them in a cage where they have to see you and have to understand the stress that, that it's not worth freaking out about or you can say, get rid of all the stress, have them in a solid container with plants for them to hide in. And you put in the rat in a, you know, in a little trap door where they never see or smell a person, you know, like there's ways to do these things. And sure. I'm just saying stress is a, is a very important thing. And if you handle it one way or you handle it the other way, you're taking the stress as, as a factor of their well-being and their reproductive success into account. Okay, so, Linda. Thank you. You chew that you. leg. No, listen, listen, leave my leg alone. Hey, you're the one Look, chewing on I, it. I don't. I, so, so I think those people who <laughs> want to hide those animals uh, in, yeah. in plant cover and things like that, they're taking a strategy. And as long yeah. as you're, as long as you're consistent with that strategy over the long period, I believe that sure. strategy will work. Yeah. I yeah. also believe if that? you take my strategy to- of there was another scrub breeder that was on can I finish? Can I finish? radio that was can, talking can about I finish? that same thing. <laughs> Go for it, Linda. Can I finish? Wait, no, wait. Right. Are you Karen? No, you're Karen? Linda. You're Linda. I'm that little okay. boy who's you, like, no pow pows. No pow pows. Right? You can be Karen. I'll be your, yeah. I'll be Linda. <laughs> All right. Wait, I don't know if I want to be Karen. That's, that is not a good name. That is not. I think I'd uh, rather be Linda. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Karen's no. listening. Yeah, exactly. Or Linda's my bad too. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I I do I just I think whether you go with the you know less less stuff going on, get them used to it, uh, lots of stuff in the enclosure. The only point I was really making is I think we've seen people who have been more hands on with them, tried to keep them like other pythons, and and I and I, I you know I don't I don't really understand outside of something viral uh, or or you know something going on uh, that that we are not kind of, you know, if it's a, if it if the mortality rate of Tracier is highly tied to stress, then mm-hmm. I would say that your, you know, going in and getting them used to handling probably is isn't is a may, maybe a threshold too far. Um sure. so sure. um that was kind mm-hmm. of my only point with that, Linda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Well, I think you missed the point because that was the, you know, it was it was about Managing it's about putting me in a trap. Managing stress. And you walked right into that, you know, to say that you disagreed with me. And then you well, talked no, about how no, you manage I don't, I don't stress. Dis- listen, I do disagree with you because there's multiple <laughs> appropriate ways to manage stress. That's that's the point yeah. is, is what you're saying. And what your side is saying is that there is, um, you know, specific things you have to do. And I, what I'm saying is that, yes in managing stress but but how you manage that stress can be variable right but sure. there are certain thresholds that you just cannot cross because i i don't think that they lead to good outcomes right with certain species yeah with certain I mean, species yeah. and so that's that's what i mean you you have to find the detail that works for the species you're working with. Absolutely. Well, if you're if you're not is if you're managing not, stress yeah, is this, is critical to yeah, doing well with them. And if you're non-articulate about any species that you're keeping, if you're not interfacing with 
you know, the, where they come from, the, the minutia of, you know, what, what is and what is not important. Yeah. I would argue that you absolutely will not be as successful. If you think you can just be like, well, it's a Python. I just treat it like any old Python. Now, does that, does that mean that, that all Pythons don't have similar physiology because they're Pythons, right? Like, but, but can you treat every Python exactly the same? No, absolutely not. But but there are certain commonalities and there are certain things that matter, but there's certain things that I don't think matter. And I think sometimes people get caught up in the things that don't matter as the keys mm-hmm. to success where sure. where the long game, the the consistency, um, the, the 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 student of the serpent, finding those things that work well over time and, and cause a you know steady state economics with that animal right and yeah. and that is probably your best leverage to have success that's that's kind of that that that's that's what i'm saying <laughs> okay yeah i i mean you can settle down a little bit <laughs> you got me fired up with the bear <laughs> trap know, man <laughs> my foot hurts I, I understand you know my I foot hurts my name is karen <laughs> sorry <laughs> Uh, no, so I, 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 I've already I, insulted. I would say I've had to of, insult the Barker. Like this is this has just been a train wreck. Okay, I am not scoring points with people out there. All right, I get it. I get it. No, I okay. So I guess my my summary would be um, when you're considering keeping any species to know their their uh, natural history, to find the elements of their natural history that are static or that are very critical to their um reproductive cycling and and i mean you can you can build off of other people's mistakes i mean uh tracy are a great example of that i mean how many people have tried to keep them and they've just died on them you know and so you can kind of talk to them oh how did you keep them oh i kept them 88 to 90 degrees you know and and i and I fed them, you know, twice a week and you, okay, maybe I don't want to keep them that way because yep. that led to yep. the demise of the animal. And so, you know, you can learn from the mistakes of others. Now that's the hard thing is getting, you, you have to almost get somebody on the phone and start saying things that you've done wrong for people to feel comfortable telling you what they've done wrong or how, you know, what they think might've led to their lack of success. Some people, you know, may not know. They're just like, I don't know. I thought I was doing great and it died. And they can tell you they're keeping regimen. You can think, okay, maybe is there something in there I can go with? And maybe they had some crazy load of internal parasites that they didn't know about, or, or maybe it was just a cancer, some random thing that they couldn't control. So, you know, you have to kind of weed through that. But as you, as you try to learn and and be a student of the serpent and learn about the animal you're keeping, um, there, there are probably a certain number of things that are critical to their reproductive success and to their care, to their long-term well-being. And if you can identify those things, I think you're going to be much more successful. Now, if you get caught up in the minutia, if you get caught up in the like, okay, am I going to, am I going to do this? Am I going to feed, you know, eight meals a year? Or am I going to feed nine meals a year? You know, or, or am I going to feed during this month or that month? You know, it might not work out so well for you, but if you say, okay, what's the principle, a a cycle feeding, okay, I'm going to set up a cycle feeding regimen. I'm going to feed, you know, this many at this during these months. And then I'm going to try that out for five years or something and see what happens. I'm going to, you know, 
key in on on storms. If I've got storms coming through, I'm going to throw them together and see if that results in more frequent copulation than when I put them together when there's no barometric pressure change, you know, and have ways to monitor that. I don't know. There's, I mean, uh, infrared cameras are cheap as dirt. You know, you can buy a little remote camera, put it in their nest box and you can see them, you know, the, uh, it might be crowded in there or may, may not get the right angle or you may not get the right view, but there's ways to try to, you know, monitor these things. And like Shane said, sometimes they'll stick their tails out of the nest box and you can see what's going on and they'll, they'll give you a little hint, but, and you know, sometimes like you can look at the behavior of your animal. If your male's cruising around the cage, like uh, Shane was talking about trying to get out, Oh, maybe that's a good time to, to let the animal out and go visit the female, you know? So there's, there's cues that maybe are imperceptible to us, but looking at the behavior of the animals can give you a clue. Maybe the female's putting off pheromones like crazy saying, I'm ready to breed. And your male's cruising around the cage and you're like, Oh, what's wrong with this stupid male? I don't want to let him near the female. He'll probably kill her or something. You know, it's like the best time to let him near the female. So our interpretation of behaviors is sometimes problematic and sometimes we get in our own way but you know as we gather information and that's why it's really um you know sometimes we like to claim success all on our own like i figured this out i did this or whatever when in reality we're basing a lot of the decisions we're making off of either other people's successes or their failures and so we don't have to go down the same uh bad, you know, the, down the road that they went that led to a, a bad outcome. And so, you know, there's, there's different ways to, uh, to, to do this. And, and I, I do think there is some plasticity in some elements of keeping them, but others, it's a static, they need this, you know, a colubrid needs to be cool or this colubrid needs to be cooled. Maybe other colubrids don't, you know, I'm, I'm very generalizing with Colubrids is a huge family of snakes. So, um, but you know, there's certain aspects of, of some species that are almost required for them to breed and be successful long-term over multiple generations. Um, oh, that's one other thing I wanted to bring up. Sorry. I, I forgot. I, I was going to bring it up earlier and I want to bring it up kind of the closing as well is uh, as we reproduce animals through multiple generations, we're moving them more and more towards a domesticated creature right <laughs> and so we change things that maybe are more more or less necessary or make them less necessary put them into a more adaptable state things like that so um they, oh did you, did you I so that. maybe you maybe you hit I on that, that. <laughs> that was okay. my whole epigenetic thing <laughs> never mind oh, that's i'm sorry right, that's right. i didn't mean to so, go into your i'm sorry finish <laughs> no yeah Continue. so you know there are things that as you as you get them more and more um adapted to captivity or domesticated, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, maybe those things go down in number and the, and the critical things become less critical and they yeah. become more adaptable. So that's, that's what I'd end on. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, I, I wholly agree with that, that part of it. I mean, I think that, you know, um, you know, and, and, you know, you think about it, like, you know, animals in the, or snakes in the wild, it's Tracy A in the wild. They, they yeah. don't experience the same climate every single, I mean, it's uh, in, a, in, in an equatorial region, it is absolutely fairly stable, right? But it's not the same exact, 
year to year, it does change, right? And and especially when you get away from equatorial regions, there's sure. there's animals that have vastly different, you know, from have a drought possibly, or a huge yeah, tropical absolutely. storm. So, so from yeah. decade to decade or, you know, yeah. a, 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 they have to have plasticity. So this idea that, that you can't, you know, you cannot have variation in, in what you do to reproduce something in captivity just doesn't track with with what animals have to do in the wild even, right? And, and you know, I would say that, that you know, we can probably give about the same stability if you have a, a, a well-controlled, uh, you know, captive environment for them. Um, and then, you know, I think, I think, you know, the hard part about stuff is you got to have the balls to risk it sometimes, right? Like, you know, um, if everybody's keeping you know, Tracy and they're killing them. You got to have the balls to do something completely different. And, and it's kind of like, crap, man, like these things are dying on people left and right anyway. What am I, you know, like if I risk like running them all at a lower temperature or doing something that just sounds like that doesn't make sense from what I understand about where they come from or whatever, like, well, challenge that that's okay. You know? And, yeah. and, 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 you know, I, I think, for for me and 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 you know everybody can come to their own conclusions but for me i feel like i made some insights right and and maybe i'm wrong but i'm i'm having some success so i want to ride that out and see where it goes and if it continues and or if i can talk about it with other people and they do what i do and they have success then maybe that's you know that that's not just what knowledge that's wisdom right um and yeah. and and you know i think i think the other hard part is man when when you get like bull and I that are 10 K or, you know, like that's mm -hmm. uh, listen, man, like we don't even know how to breed this shit and we're already trying to turn it into a profit pyramid scheme. Yeah. You know, yeah. let's, let's, let's get our shit together when it comes to breeding these things and, and not make it a, a profit based, you know, let, we can make it a profit based thing after we got it figured out. <laughs> well, but, the people but, want the people making the money are not the ones trying to breed them either. <laughs> They're uh, importing and, and, them and saying yeah, these and, these suckers are going to pay ten grand a piece for them. And so, I'm going to uh, say something unpopular. <laughs> Maybe you're kind of a dickhead, right? Because Me? well, no. no, are you importing bull and I at no, trying no, to yeah. sell them for twenty k a fucking <laughs> pair? No, I, I'm just saying it doesn't make sense. Like like yeah. you know. Listen, if, if what are we doing here? What are we doing here, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I get it. You know, it's about making money. Is it? Is it really? I mean, is that like I get it? People got to make a living and shit. But but can can people make a living and not charge people ten k for for a single male that that that's imported and really is suspect whether it's yeah. even been captive hatched? You yeah. know that, that what it costs that importer to bring it in, or what that or what that retailer bought it for and what he's selling it for is bullshit compared to what he's trying to charge the consumer. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and, and well, so and that's the thing. If, if we support that and people buy them, then they're going to keep doing it. That's the yeah. bottom line. You know, it's supply and demand. If people are going to go for it, then have at it, you know, good yeah. luck to you. Hopefully you figure it out and you don't just have a, a dead 10 grand snake, you know, right. that's, that's the, that's the challenge, but you know, and, and maybe, maybe that's what it requires. Maybe they'll, I don't know. We had that topic already. We already discussed that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, and you know, I also think like for me, one of the things that helped me really be successful is give, is, is, is giving animals room to make choices, construct 
your habitat, construct your plan with a way to let the animal figure it out and give that animal a safe, you know, reasonable that 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 seems to meet all its needs, but allow that animal to make those decisions, right? And 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 design your enclosures, design your setups and your plans for those animals around those things, because you don't know what the fuck's going on. They do. Right. And so you have to meet, like we talked about certain criteria, uh, uh, around what these animals need. And some of that's a best guess. Some of that's kind of well known, but if you design it in such a way that the animal just makes it, takes it from there, then you're going to have much more success. But you know, this idea that you're grabbing the male out and throwing him in with the female. And if that's, if, if you're talking about highly stressed animals, you're, you're not helping yourself doing that. So, you know, do something like pass throughs or, you know, do something like, uh, you know, uh, cohabbing or, or things like that. And, 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 you know, kind of think around those things, but better ways to kind of get stuff to work together. And, and I, you know, I, I do, I, I think this has been good. I do think that, you are a hundred percent right that there are just certain hard, you know, nopes that if you cross that threshold, it's just not going to happen for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 there is certain plasticity that has to be there in animals. If they were unforgiving, they would not exist as a form on this earth. So that mm-hmm. is all I have. <laughs> all right. Well, good topic. Uh, we we took up a good chunk of time. Uh, we did. We oh. did got pretty impassioned there so that was well we had a bunch of nonsensical you know um non 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 reptile ish talk earlier so we did yeah Um, hopefully we we delivered in the end bear trap and all yeah i think it was a good topic yeah that was it was good discussion good fight good fight (laughs) all right well well, uh, um, so yeah, let me, let us know if, what you think, what you, what you got from this, if you have any input to it, we love feedback and love getting new, uh, topics. We've, we've had some really nice feedback lately and, and some really good topics where we got some people lined up to come on and discuss some of these topics. So appreciate your uh, feedback and your interaction. That's kind of what makes this more fun is people's interaction and, you know, hearing, hearing the guys on carpets and coffee talk about, you know, the, the opportunity to fight each other and, and, you know, Lucas oh, wanting to, I, I want to get in people's ear. We're making that happen. That's oh, yeah, yeah, that's for, sure, happen. for sure. Yeah. We'll, that's have, we'll have them on as soon as they want to come on. Yeah. yeah Maybe the 20th absolutely. episode. I don't even know what yeah. episode we're on. I mean, no, we're, we gotta be close. So I feel <laughs> like the, that episode's close, coming yeah. folks. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, I don't think we want to wait 50 episodes. I don't no, wait that no, come on guys. People may not even, be willing to listen to us at that point so let's (laughs) let let us let us strike while the iron is hot yeah but i think the the nice uh thing is is there's no end to topics we can continue on there's so many different things and i think the that the 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 interviews we did at the anaheim show really bear that out you know show that man there's things that you you haven't i haven't even considered you know really interesting topics so that was kind of fun um and i you know i i uh think there's there's a good uh, good opportunity to to bring up some topics that you've been thinking about and that are important, you know, that you want to have people consider or think about. So, you know, let us know. We'll get you on. And yeah, please. And like, we, um, like we talked about on our last episode with, uh, you know, talking to, to Ryan McVeigh and hearing, you know, his impassioned you know, plea on different aspects of things in the, in mm-hmm. the hobby. You know, there's a lot of things that are 
you know, maybe that we're doing that aren't, aren't quite that effective and we need to change and develop and grow. And, and I think this is a good mechanism for that to get people yeah. to think about things they might have not considered. So, you know, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell everybody, uh, you know, that there's some good fights going on and, and they need to listen. So, uh, let's try to grow, grow the audience and, you know, get some more listeners in here and, and get them thinking because the more, the more we contribute and the more we interact and, and discuss these topics, the, the better we can do, the more we can grow and the more we can, uh, you know, fill some of these things out and, and do better for the animals. So that's my, uh, plea to you <laughs> and, uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch you next week for another reptile fight club. Linda and Karen are out. <laughs> fight club.